we acknowledge before you this morning how we need you. So please take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our wills and bend them to your own. Take our hearts, Lord Jesus, whether they are broken, jaded and dead, or vibrant and looking for the next opportunity. Take these hearts and set them on fire with love for yourself. We pray this for your name's sake. Amen. Well, we've been doing this face-to-face with Jesus. the, The front of your service sheet is that imaging. A contemporary man looking directly at the face of a presentation of what Jesus might have looked like when he walked this earth. But it's this face-to-face engagement of Jesus. And I do not weary of saying that most of the people that Jesus talked to said very, very significant things to and wonderfully healed all part of something that was not planned, humanly speaking. They were incidental connections, incidental conversations, engagements. Jesus moving along in passing, going to one place and being intercepted. So this morning, Jesus, that we are looking at, has a group gathered together to teach. It's in Capernaum. That was the headquarters of Jesus and his ministry for the last three years of his life. That was what he considered home. Peter's mother-in-law lived in Capernaum. A group of us will be in Capernaum in about three or four weeks, right after Easter. And you can actually see the layout, the ruins of the house, where Peter's mother-in-law was healed. It's not far from the synagogue we'll be standing in, in Capernaum. And it was in Capernaum that Jesus was teaching in one of those single-level Palestinian homes with nearly a flat roof. Sometimes they were tiled and slightly sloping. Presumably that's what we're looking at here in Luke. And it was crowded with people to hear him speak. And it was the intervention of that address, that time of teaching, when four men came with a paralyzed chap on his mat, blanket, and was lowered down through the roof as they parted whatever needed to be made and taken away, rather, to lower him right in the presence of Jesus. If you turn to page six in your service sheet, which I'd encourage you to do, we'll be able to follow along with what happened. But similarly, if you've got your own Bible, look at Luke chapter five, beginning at verse 17, because that's where this narrative and the description of these events begins. So verse 17 says, one day... As he was teaching, Pharisees 
and teachers of the law, these are religious elites, professional Christians or Jews rather, and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. Jesus gathered quite a crowd there. And wouldn't you know it, as it says here, they were sitting, listening to him. They were sitting. They had gotten in early, taken their place, filled up the house, and these mostly were highly profiled Jewish leaders and then the rest were trying to crowd in and they were outside the door maybe looking in through windows and the truth is that wherever Jesus really turns up you're going to gather a crowd where he really turns up and wherever you gather a crowd you've got a whole variety of folks who are listening with different kinds of ears For instance, these professional religious people, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees who were very stringent about their rules and regulations of how they lived and dressed, they were listening with ears that were very critical, heart attitudes that were looking to find some fault with Jesus. And that becomes apparent. There are folks who turn up at church like that. There are others who turn up Longing for God to speak to their broken hearts, begin to put their lives back together. There are others who turn up, and it's just as their habit predicts. They're in church on Sunday morning. It's just another Sunday. They pray their prayers, they sing their songs, they leave. Almost as if there were no real content other than the habit There are others who turn up who are anxious to learn, anxious to hear a word from God that speaks to their lives, enthuses them, gets them up and going, recharges their batteries. All kinds of people were around Jesus in his day. And amazingly, the needy, the neediest, given the situation described here, couldn't get close to him so what do they do well let's continue reading it goes on to say that the power of the lord was present for him to heal the sick so some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before jesus When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd and right in front of Jesus. Now to stop again and reflect on that, these were real friends. Interesting that a paralytic had real friends. Often we steer clear of people with inadequacies and unable to walk, talk, hear, see, respond, because we don't know quite how to deal with them. But these were real friends. You get the impression when you read Mark that there were actually more friends, but four of them were carrying him, the rest were traveling with him. 
I'll come back to that in just a moment. But they spared no inconvenience in getting their friend in front of Jesus. They took real risks. Granted, there weren't lawyers to sue should a tile come through the roof and hit somebody on the head. Or as they're looking up and wondering where all the debris is coming from, get dust in their eyes. Nothing could stop these men from getting their friend to Jesus. Is that a lesson? I'll tell you this. If they had not taken that risk, that inconvenience, they were members of the the village community. They'd be known for what they did. There was no place to hide. They could have been targets of ridicule. Nothing stopped them. And because they could not be stopped, not only was this man healed, but Jesus gets into a further conversation in the healing of this man, which is recorded here. And you get the reaction of the Jewish leaders, the critics who were sitting there listening. You get that reaction and Jesus responding to them. And what we have as we read this today is an encouragement at us as ourselves not to be tardy, timid, backward, reticent, lazy, or too shy and embarrassed to take whatever it takes to get the people we know who need Jesus in front of him. That's us. What lengths have you ever gone to for somebody you wanted to help? Maybe a family member like me. I have a sister. She died in this last year. But when she was a teenager, had just come over from Australia to live with us in the USA, she got into drugs in high school. And I heard, amazingly, and I can't remember how I did, that she was off with some of her drug buddies in Aliquippa. And I jumped in my car. Amazingly, I, don't, I can't remember. I've scratched my mind. How did I know where to go? But I had an address, and I found it in Aliquippa. And I went into this really seedy neighborhood on the side of a hill, what looked to me like run-down sheds and hovels, to this address, and went in and rescued my sister from the people there. And I look back on that and think, how crazy. Was that dangerous? Was I invaded, invading the den of iniquity? You know it, but I wanted my sister out of there. Wonderfully, she died knowing Jesus. Her kids, two of them down there, know Jesus. And her husband came to know Jesus. Years later, what lengths will you go to? Will you plan and think about it? Listen to this. This is a whole sermon by itself. Jesus did not just turn up by chance on earth. And we know that the Father planned this all from the prophecies concerning his coming centuries before he came. And Jesus in coming, what inconvenience. How humiliating to leave glory, become one of us, and put up with this kind of nonsense, critics giving him the thumbs down, who should know better. 
going all the way to the cross. How painful was that? Taking it all on in the face of extreme danger that cost him his life here on earth, that he might rescue us. God had that all planned. He's got a plan for your life and the people in your life. The people you know are not there by accident. You're not in this church this morning by accident. God has a word for you to speak to you. So that sets the stage for the miracle. Look at this. They lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And so verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, that is the faith of the men who brought him, maybe the faith of the man on the mat, but that's plural, their faith. These folks had gone to such a an inconvenient, conspicuous, deliberate act to get this man in front of Jesus for him to heal the man. That Jesus responded to their faith. So keep praying. Keep after those in your life. He responds to our faith. And he said to the man, friend, your sins are forgiven you. Now to stop there again, let me say two things about that statement, your sins are forgiven. Jesus speaking. There's one other thing I want to say in just a moment, but two things. First is this, that all sickness, all spiritual death, all relational alienation, all the broken homes, all the physical sin, physical pain, physical distress, psychological distress and pain, emotional, relational, everything that we would say is sick and broken and messed up in this world is because of original sin the first sin of our forefather and mother, Adam and Eve. Sin entered into the world. With sin came death, came sickness, and came a multiplicity of distresses. And That's why we have it in the world. That's one thing to be said about this statement. The second is this, that when Jesus pointed to this man and said, your sins are forgiven, the chances are very real that his sickness was related to his own personal sin. It's interesting that the first thing Jesus speaks to is not his illness, but his sin. Your sins are forgiven. And there is a lot of personal sickness that is directly connected to our personal sins. Whether it's physical. And I could go through the ailments. Psychosomatic. You're full of worry and angst. And you have physical ailments, ailments and illnesses. Directly this man is spoken to. He knows whatever that sin is. 
He knows that that sin almost disqualifies him from any apparent help from God. Except that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. A sin that's connected to immediate awareness of how it affects our illness and our sickness. And the great thing about Jesus is that he ends up fixing both. But the statement he made is a powerful statement. Your sins are forgiven. I want to call Jane Abati, who's waiting in the wings here, to come and join me. Please, Jane. She's the author of this book, which is available out in our commons area, Where Do Broken Hearts Go? She's the author of this, and it's partly her story and then teaching about how God fixes broken lives and hearts. But will you please give Jane a warm Christchurch welcome right now? Hello, thank you for having me here. Thank you, Pastor, for inviting me. We probably have never met, but I suspect that your paths, some of your lives' paths, may have been similar to mine. I was born in the Pittsburgh area. I had two um, really good parents. Uh, They provided so well for me and my three older sisters. I had dreams, like girls do, of having a career, but then finding the right man and settling down and having children. And the fact is, is that when I was a young girl, a teen and in my early 20s, I was, I was very shy and very insecure. And unfortunately, I found that I needed the reassurance that I was good enough, pretty enough, just enough, through the physical affection of other men, young men, really and became sexually active very early in my life and outside of marriage. And that promiscuity had many difficult effects on me and the, and the boys that I was involved with. But, but the most significant effect is that at age 22, I found myself pregnant. I was unmarried. And some of you might have shared that feeling of discovering you're pregnant and the panic that just comes over you. I was confused. I was deeply ashamed, feeling guilty, appropriately so. And I didn't feel like there was anyone that I could turn to. I I was a good girl. And I was too ashamed to tell anyone. I had been raised as a Catholic, and I knew Jesus But I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I wasn't a follower of Jesus. And so sadly, I I didn't turn to God either. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my parents, my sisters, father of the child, my friends. What I did do is drive myself to an abortion clinic by myself. And in those two couple of hours that followed, my life was changed forever. That abortion procedure is physically painful, but more than that, it's emotionally devastating and spiritually devastating as well. 
I drove myself home from the clinic, still never told anyone. And the next day, I picked up my life as if nothing had happened. What, what else was I to do? Because I didn't seek help, I didn't know that there would be help for someone like me. A couple of years later, I found myself pregnant a second time. And a second abortion followed. And a few years after that, again, keeping everything secret, I drove myself a third time to an abortion clinic because I was pregnant a third time. The rest of my life, for the next 20 or so years, was spent in denial and confusion, overwhelmed with shame and grief. I, I never told anyone about it, and I pursued my career and was successful. I went on to get married. My relationship with my husband was a difficult one. All of my relationships were difficult. I knew that there was something wrong. I, I didn't know what to do about it, and no one knew. I, I was keeping it all to myself. And then one day, just like today, in my church, there was a notice of a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. And I was sure that everyone in that congregation knew that that was there because of me. Now, I know that sounds crazy, but that was how astounded I was, how ashamed and afraid I was. But when I read that brochure, I knew that it was the Holy Spirit that was going to give me the courage to make that phone call. And the Holy Spirit did. I picked up the phone, and I talked to a loving, kind, understanding woman on the other end. And we talked a little bit about my experience. And a few weeks later, I was part of a Rachel's Vineyard program. And in that weekend retreat, with men and women who shared my experience, who were confidential and private and loving and non-judgmental, who cared about me, that nothing I said was too horrible or too shocking. I was able to explore why I was promiscuous to begin with, why I was vulnerable to multiple abortions, why I was afraid to tell anyone and felt I had to handle it myself, and most important, why I didn't turn to Jesus. And in that retreat, as I processed my grief and my guilt and my shame, I came to know in a very personal way that no sin is too big, no sin is unforgivable, and that Jesus died on the cross for me and my sins. And I learned that I have three children in heaven. And I named my three children, Anne, James, and Jane. And now I have a relationship with my children, and I am grateful that there will come a day when I will be with them in heaven. I'm not just talking today to the women in this room. We've shared, some of us have shared the grief of losing our children. I'm also talking to the men that are in this room. You too, some of you, have lost your son or your daughter to abortion. And some of you were the parents whose daughter or son came to you in a, in a mess, and you thought you were doing the best thing for them. They had their whole life ahead of them, and you thought that an abortion would solve the problem. I wish my life had been different. 
I wish that I could go back and change the past. But of course, we know that we can't do that, can we? But fortunately, praise God, we have a Savior who can change our future. And he changed mine. I have a life now, now that I know Jesus and follow Jesus, that is beyond anything I might have imagined when I was a little girl. So it's time for you. It's time, my sisters and my brothers, to, to stop swirling in the confusion and the denial, stop justifying the past. It's time to stop condemning yourself and bearing yourself in guilt and shame. Jesus doesn't want that for you. He doesn't want you to abort your life, too. It's time to step forward in faith and receive the forgiveness and the love and the compassion of a Rachel's Vineyard team and of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So in a few minutes, when, when service is over, some of us will be from the Rachel's Vineyard team in the chapel. I'll be in the, um, in the concourse. Commons. Commons, thank you. In the commons area. And we will be glad to answer any questions, to pray with you. It's time. It's time for you. Thank you. It is time. Do you know if God's been speaking to you? You know. You know. Let's pray together here a moment. Lord, we thank you together for Jane. Thank you for healing her heart, forgiving her sin, restoring her dignity, giving her a life worth living, reaching out to others like herself, that they too might be healed and restored and given back a life to live with you and for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let me just close with this. It comes back to the text. When the critics of Jesus said to him, who are you to forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. They, they had that right. What they didn't get right was that Jesus wasn't God. But that's understandable that they could hardly believe that. Jesus himself demonstrated that power when he said so that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sin on earth. I say to you, and this time he says to the paralytic, get up and walk. Go home. Take your mat with you. And wouldn't you know it? He did. And walked out of there praising God. And the conclusion of this are these words, they were filled with awe, those who saw this and said, we have seen remarkable things today. Well, God's willing right here and now to do remarkable things. Look, this book is available. I encourage you to go get it. You know somebody who could really use this. And maybe it's you as well. The brochure in your service sheet, take it out and look at it a moment. A God-filled spiritual journey for healing after abortion. This is the work and ministry of Rachel's Vineyard. On the back, you see a dedicated number, toll-free, to call and get help. 
also a website to go to, and in here the information about the retreats that are coming up, and the next one is April 10 through 12. There's another one in the fall, October 2 through 4. They're listed here. You take this, and if you are that person God's speaking to, get in touch. But one other thing. There was a a day when I was preaching about stop the Holocaust, and there was a young woman sitting about three rows back from the front of the church. And when the service was over, she was still sitting there by herself. She had come to the realization that the abortion she had had killed her baby and that she was accountable to God, but that God was willing to reach out and forgive her. That was several years ago. That woman is a good friend and has spent a lifetime in ministry since, helping others, other women in particular. You may be in such distress right now Just one person like that one person, like Jane was one person. And our chapel is at the left-hand side as you go out. Very quiet and private place. There are a team of the vineyard people who run that retreat waiting there for you to begin that process for you. So take this brochure home with you. If it's not you, it's four. There is somebody in your life now or will be soon for whom this is a lifeline back to normalcy spiritual wholeness and to get connected to Jesus as well as their own feelings let's pray again together shall we Lord we want to witness all over again the miracles that you do this miracle of healing mending a broken heart You are the one to go to. That's where broken hearts need to go, to you. Thank you for these wonderful helpers who've gone to such lengths, made such sacrifice, given of themselves that others might find you, might be brought to you, might be healed by you, and sent on their way rejoicing. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Speak now to each of, each of us, but especially that one. Speak now, Lord. And give the impetus and the desire to find you and be healed. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.